mentioned that we're going to begin today talking about this theme of story. And think about story. Stories are powerful. If I just give you facts, you can agree with the fact. You might even believe the fact. But it doesn't really do anything to it. We don't, we're not moved emotionally by facts. We're not necessarily pushed towards action because of facts. We don't have anything real attachment to facts, even if we believe them. Statistics. If I just got up here and 80% of people and 20% and 30%, without attaching them to a people group, without putting a story with it, they don't mean anything either. They're just numbers. But stories have power. Stories have the power to move us. We're meeting in a movie theater. That's an industry that makes millions, maybe billions of dollars a year selling stories. Some of those stories move us emotionally. Some of those stories make us more courageous. Some of those stories do all kinds of different things in our lives. Stories have power. It's why if I got up here today and I started to list off to you a bunch of facts about large airplanes, triple sevens, no big deal. But the whole world's been engaged watching the news about this flight that disappeared, leaving Malaysia. That was a huge flight, had 239 people on it. And what do we want to know? We want to know the story. How does a plane just disappear? And we hear all kinds of stories. If you've been watching the news over the last three weeks of what may have happened. Was the pilot hijacking the plane? Was he a hero trying to save the plane? Did it end up in the Indian Ocean? Did it end up in some hangar in Pakistan? Like all kinds of stuff that could have happened. And here's what we do. We just scratch our heads and think, how with all of our technology do we not know where this plane is at? I can get on my computer right after this service and look at a village in Hong Kong with Google Earth. And we can't find the plane? And we want to know the story. And there are all kinds of stories. 239 people got on that flight. Each one had a story. Some of them were young. Some of them were older. Some of them were parents. Some of them were grandparents. Some of them were children. Some of them were brothers and sisters and cousins and coworkers and friends and significant others. And they all have a story. If we were going to write a movie about what took place, you'd set it up by showing this person saying goodbye and that person and the business trip they were going on and how this one wasn't going to be on the flight and somebody didn't get on the flight. And they all have a story. All 239 of them, we focus mostly on this pilot. Is he a hero or a hijacker? But they all have a story. And so do you. So do I. We all have a story. As you think about your story, I want you to ask yourself this question today. Is my story significant? Is your story significant? Does your story matter? Does it make a difference? Is it some great story? And most of us will think to ourselves, no, my story's not this. Here's what I do. Here's my title. Here's the errands I run. Here's the activities I'm involved in. And most of us think because we're not going to be listed as the 50 greatest people or the most handsome or the whatever the list that are out there, put in some history book that our story's not significant. But what I'm telling you today is that's because we're looking at it through the world's value system. And what God actually says is a significant story is a story of gospel service. And what we're going to talk about today is a life of gospel service, a significant story of gospel service. In Acts chapter 20, if you have your Bibles, go ahead and join me there. And we're going to be looking at the life of Paul. We're in a section of the book of Acts where Paul begins to focus on his story, not just his conversion story, but his life as a whole. And what he's talking about is how to have a significant story. And he talks about it here, and you're looking at a guy who is probably the most famous missionary of all times, perhaps the greatest missionary of all times. We're in the book of Acts, which is telling how the church began. And so you continually see, and then he went to this place and began a church, and then they went to this place, and here's how it happened, and this church started, and these different things took place, and what was the church focused on? What did they do? What were they like? But then this key character, Paul, is through this whole thing. And what made his life significant wasn't that he started all these churches. It wasn't the books that he wrote that got published in the Bible. It wasn't all the people that came to Christ. It was the type of life he lived, and that's what we look at in this passage today. It starts off, verses 13 through 17, as a travel log, a lot like a bunch of the book of Acts, actually, because he's going from place to place and starting these churches. I wish the names weren't so hard to say, but there are all these different places, and he goes to start these different churches, and we're going to read through five verses. Here's the gist of it. 
It's about a five-day journey where he ends up is what's most important here. It says, we, verse 13, and it's Luke who writes the book of Acts with Paul, says, we went on ahead to the ship and sailed for Assos, where where we were going to take Paul aboard. He had this arrangement because he was going there on foot, and so Paul decided he wanted to walk. Time alone, think, meditate, I don't know, pray. When he met us at Assos, we took him aboard and went on to Mytilene. The next day, we set sail from there and arrived off Chios. The day after that, we crossed over to Samos, and on the following day, arrived in Miletus. That's where we end up. Ends up in Miletus, and then Luke tells us about why they end up there and what's going on, verses 16 and 17. Paul decided to sail past Ephesus to avoid spending time in the province of Asia. Not Asia as we know it, but the Roman province of Asia would be Turkey today. For he was in a hurry to reach Jerusalem. If possible, by the day of Pentecost. He's a Jew. He wanted to go there for their festival. He missed Passover. He wants to be there for Pentecost. But what does he do? So from Miletus, Paul sent to Ephesus for the elders of the church. And so what Paul does, he ends up at this town on Miletus. What you need to know about Miletus is this. It's about 20 or 30 miles from Ephesus, so it's pretty close. And he sends to Ephesus to have the leaders of the church, the elders, come to him so he can give them one final message. Now, why is that significant? Well, Ephesus was a really important town. Ephesus is what we read about in Acts chapter 18, verse 23, through to Acts chapter 19. And it was three years that Paul spent there. It's the longest he had spent at any place in Ephesus. But it wasn't just that he spent a lot of time there. It wasn't just that a riot broke out. There were some cool stories. People were getting healed by hankies. Everyone there heard the gospel. All kinds of great stuff happened. A church was started. Many people believe that the seven churches in Revelation 2 and 3 were started at that time period, but here's what it was. Paul developed some deep relationships while he was there. We're going to see that really next week when they're weeping together. But what you need to know is this isn't just some sermon that he gives that's a list of how to live a significant life. This isn't just like five keys to and three principles of and one way to and here's some examples and go do it. This is a highly emotional passage of scripture with people that he cares about deeply. He poured his life into. Many of these people, their eternity was changed because of words that Paul said. And so he viewed these people as his spiritual children. We see him talk about Timothy that way. He loves them deeply. And this is the last time, to his knowledge, this is the last time they're going to see each other face to face. So this is a goodbye. This is a farewell. I've never seen people say goodbye. Maybe you've had to do it. You send your kids off to college. And that's tough because they're They're leaving. Or you see people at the airport and they're making out and you're thinking, get a room and get out of my way. You don't know what their story is. Like, maybe they'll never see each other again. You say goodbye to folks. Maybe you left a town where you have deep friendships with people and you're moving to another place and you don't know if you'll see those people again. And that's that's emotional. Any goodbye can be tough. Think about it at my house, just a, a simple one. Every day when I go to leave for work, if I don't leave before the kids are up, it's difficult to leave the house. I've got two little kids that go to the door, a two-year-old and a four-year-old. They literally go to the door and they stand there and say, no, you're not leaving. <laughs> if they were bigger than me, I'd be in trouble. Like they're like trying to bodyguard me out of this thing. And, and I'll go, I'll give me a hug and kiss. I'll come back just like I do every day. I'm going to come back, give them a hug and kiss. And one of them will grab a hold of my neck and she'll actually hang on. Like, I won't hold on to her. I can stand up and walk around. It's like I have a child growth on me. I can probably take her to work one day. She doesn't want me to go. I can't even imagine saying goodbye to them and thinking I'd never see their face again. Can you imagine how emotional that would be if you were going to say goodbye to your children and never see them again? And Paul, these are his spiritual children. He says, we're never going to see each other's faces again. And he wants to impart the most important words he can possibly impart to them about how they can live a significant life. And here's why. Because God's done a great thing in Ephesus and he wants it to continue on. And it's dependent upon whether or not they live the life of gospel service. 
And so that's what he talks about in verses 18 through 21. It's really one long sentence in Greek. It says this, verse 18, join me. When they arrived, he said to them, so these leaders from the church in Ephesus, they show up, these elders, and he said to them, you know how I lived the whole time I was with you. From the first day I came into the province of Asia, I served the Lord with great humility and with tears, although I was severely tested by the plots of the Jews. You know that I've not hesitated to preach anything that would be helpful to you, but have taught you publicly and from house to house, from the stage and one-on-one, I've declared to both Jews and Greeks, so it didn't matter racial background, didn't matter who they were, the all people, that they must, and here's the gospel, turn to God in repentance, turn from their sin, and have faith, and not just general faith, not just belief, faith in our Lord Jesus. Here's one of the really interesting things about this message. It's the only message we have in the book of Acts where Paul's speaking to believers. Every other sermon that we've seen, he's speaking to a group of non-believers. We've seen three missionary sermons already where Paul's preached, and we've looked at them, and he's speaking to non-believers. He's going to have five defenses that are going to come up where he stands before officials or different leaders. He's speaking to non-believers in chapters 22 through 26. Here's our only message we have where he's speaking to believers. It's most like one of the New Testament letters, epistles, books, Ephesians, Colossians, Galatians, of anything else in the book of Acts. And here Paul's speaking to believers, and that's what this means for us today. The message I'm going to give you is really geared towards those of you who are followers of Jesus. So if you're not yet a follower of Jesus Christ, I'll tell you the same thing I told a friend last week. Last week I was, and and during the service, I was in Theater 12, I was teaching a class about how to share our faith, evangelism, witnessing, Christians call it lots of different things, how to have a relationship with God and tell someone else about that. And there was a friend there that I had that I know she hasn't placed her faith in Jesus yet. We've been talking. She's been going to our church for a few months. She's told me about how God's changing her family and done different things in her life. But she came up to me and she said, um, I don't know what to do now. Isn't it kind of interesting, too? By the way, she came to a class about how to share your faith, and she doesn't have a relationship with Jesus. But she, she comes to this, and afterwards she says, I don't know what to do next. And I said to her, Here, here's what you do next. And I just took out the book of Romans, and I read to her from Romans chapter 10, verses 9 and 10. If you're yet to be a follower of Jesus, here's the message for you today. If you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart, that, so it's not just confess with your mouth, you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. That's a promise from God. And Paul says it again in verse 10, another way to make sure he's clear. For it's with your heart that you believe, you have to genuinely believe this, you can't just say words, and are justified. It's with your mouth that you confess and are saved. If you're yet to place your faith in Jesus, Maybe you're due to come back to church. Maybe you've been here for a while, but you're not sure. This is the message for you today. Trust Jesus Christ. It's not go sign up to serve. It's not do some activity of service. You're going to place your faith in Jesus Christ. Everything else is like a pile of dirty rags. Everything else is worthless. Everything else, you can't make him love you more. You can't earn your way into some favor with him and a right relationship with him. Jesus Christ already did the work on the cross. If you believe that, then confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord. But for the rest of us, Paul's sharing this message with these Ephesian believers, the same message for us. That a significant life, you want to live a life of significance, you want to live a life that makes a difference, you want to live a life that matters, it's a life of service. A significant life story is a life story of gospel service. Not just serving, not just washing feet and feeding people and doing that stuff, but it's gospel service. That's what Paul talks about. Go back to verse 18 with me. He says, when they arrived, so these Ephesian elders show up in Miletus, he said to them, so these are the most important words you can share with them. You know how we lived. You know how I lived when I was with you. Isn't, Paul's not just making this up. This isn't just some audience who doesn't know him, and, and so he can say whatever he wants about his life. 
saying, the things I'm telling you with these words, my life already backs them up. You know how I lived the whole time I was with you. From the first day I came into the province of Asia, from day one until right now as I stand before you, this is doing the same thing. He says, I serve the Lord. Which is interesting when you think about all that Paul could have said. And if you were with us through Acts chapter 19, you know what I'm talking about. There were some amazing things that Paul accomplished when he was in Ephesus. He started the church. He could have looked at them and said, you know that I started the very church that you go to. He doesn't say that. He says, I served. He could have said, you know how God is using me that people were touching my hanky and getting healed. He didn't say any of the headline grabbing stuff. He could have said, you know about that whole people started to use the name of Jesus because I was using the name of Jesus. Demons getting in fights with people. Read it. Acts chapter 19. Crazy stuff. You know, Acts chapter 19, verse 10 says this, that the whole region of the world, every person, all of them, heard the gospel as a result of Paul starting this church there, and then out of that church, seven other churches are started in the book of Revelation, chapter 2 and 3. He could have said all the things he accomplished that would grab headlines and be the type of stuff that we would write stories about today. Paul doesn't say that. You want to live a significant life, he says? You want to have an impact for eternity? Serve. He says, you know that I served. See, that's contrary to how many of us think, though. It's different than our world value system. Most of us think if someone's important, then they have people serving them. If I asked you right now, take your worship programs or whatever, write in the little note in your Bible, whatever card, whatever worship, whatever thing you got the right paper on. Think amongst yourselves. Anyway, um, if I said write down the five most influential people in the world, most of us wouldn't write our own name down. You probably wouldn't write anybody's name down that's in this building. You might not write anybody's name down in this city. You'd probably think of the five most famous people. You'd probably think of people that have bodyguards or have an entourage. You think of our world of celebrities and all the celebrities that are in this world, or maybe it's a politician or perhaps it's an athlete. You think of these influential people that they influence our world system. So let me ask you this. What if somebody that was one of our most famous people, take LeBron James, for instance. He's the basketball season right now. He's arguably the greatest basketball player in the world right now. You can argue about other people, but right now he's perhaps the best. I read an article that he was uh, being interviewed in this past week. He was upset because there was a, a, a salary cap in the NBA. He only makes like $19 million a year. And he said, you know, in baseball, this guy, Miguel Cabrera, just signs this $300 million contract. I was feeling really bad for LeBron. You know, I'm just saying this. All this stuff. He's got his endorsement deals. He's got all this other stuff. He's the kind of guy that have an entourage. I bet you LeBron, if he wanted, he could probably hold his hand down and go, man, I'm thirsty, and someone would stick a drink in his hand. I bet you, you know, if he was, you know, had lint on his clothes, someone picked the lint off his clothes. There's people, there's probably just like a posse of people that are there to serve him. I don't know all this stuff. I'm just guessing. I don't know whether LeBron's a believer or not. For the sake of illustration, let's just say that he's not. What if LeBron came to Christ and then said, you know what, I'm leaving all this stuff, leaving the endorsements, I'm leaving all, you, all the people that are hangers-on and all that stuff, and I'm going to go to some remote village in some third-world country, and I'm going to bandage wounds, and I'm going to feed people in the name of Jesus Christ. Many people, some in this church, would think he's wasting his life. Do you know why? Because they're wasting their lives pursuing just a shadow of what he has. You walked away from all the stuff I want, LeBron. That's greatness. That's significant. But God flips all that on its head and says, no, it's the opposite way. It's the one who serves that's significant. Jesus says that in Luke chapter 22, he's speaking to his followers, and he says, for who is greater? He wants you to think about the very question we're thinking about today. It's okay to want to be great, but he says, who's greater? The one who's at the table or the one who serves? Is it not the one who's at the table? When you go to a restaurant, is it the person sitting at the table or is it the waiter? 
But then he says this. Think about this. But I'm among you, Jesus, as one who serves. Who's Jesus? Who's the creator? It's the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. The King of kings and the Lord of lords. He's the greatest. No argument. And he says, but I'm serving. He speaks to his disciples on another occasion in Matthew chapter 20. Matthew chapter 20, he speaks to them about greatness. You know, they have this argument all the time about who's the greatest. He's fine with them wanting to be the greatest. The problem is they don't understand greatness. They don't understand significance. He says, Jesus called them together and said, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles, pagan rulers, people who lead in ways they don't know Christ, the Gentiles, they lord it over the people they lead. That's how they use their authority. And their high officials, they exercise authority over the people. Verse 26, not so with you. It's not how I want you to live. It says, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. Get this next phrase. And whoever wants to be first must be your slave. Verse 28, just as the Son of Man, he says, look at my life. Just as the Son of Man, Jesus himself, did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. This is Jesus saying this to his disciples, the same Jesus who hours before he's betrayed by one of his closest friends, decides to wash his closest friend's feet. Gathered in a room, hours before he dies, takes off his clothes, wraps a towel around his waist, gets down on his knees, and washes the feet, the most menial task in their society, serving. He says, I'm showing you my love. It's through service. So you want to know what's significant in the kingdom of God, what God says according to God's plan, is gospel service. Service for the sake of seeing people connected to Jesus Christ for life change. Service like we see in the Lord Jesus. Service like we see the Apostle Paul. Paul could have said anything. He says, I served. And he's saying, I served and it changed your lives. God used that to change your lives. We have an example of this. I saw this week. I had a friend send me a video that was a perfect illustration of the passage that we're talking about this week. It was a young, uh, or a lady who attends our church, and she goes to first service. She was sending me a, a video of uh, her cousin actually goes to a church in Virginia, and they were trying to do a thank you to the cousin and his wife, and they brought him into the church. They didn't know they were being interviewed or what they were being interviewed for. They knew they were going to be on a video, and uh, they just showed up and gone to this church, had come to Christ at this church, served at this church, they served in the children's ministry, they lead a small group, financially had been very generous with this church, and uh, they asked them to come in. Their names were Gordon and Kathy. And Gordon and Kathy just got this call. Can you come in? We're doing a video. They show up, and they show them walking down this hallway. They're wearing nice clothes. They know they're going to be in a video. They don't know what they're doing. They come into this big room. It's a big empty room, and it's just Gordon, Kathy, and the young woman who's doing the interview. The young woman who's doing the interview sits down with them and says, Gordon, Kathy, you don't know why you're here today. And they kind of smile like, yeah, we don't. And uh, she said, well, we want to thank you as a church for all that you do. And you're some of the most generous financially, some of the most generous people in our church. You give your time, you're generous with your time, you give your talents, you're generous in that way, you're generous with your giftedness, you're generous in all these different ways. And the interviewer says, can you share with us a little bit as a church, how did you become so generous? And they start to talk about their journey with God and their story. But then eventually Gordon, who's uh, about in his 60s, I'm going to guess, you see your old man, he's trying to be humble in how he says it, but he then he basically says, it's easy to be generous when you realize you're on a rescue mission. We're all on a rescue mission. Jesus told us that in Luke chapter 19, verse 10. He came to seek and save that which was lost. We got our commission, which is basically the same thing that we're supposed to be doing is rescuing people, rescuing people from their sin, rescuing people from what going astray, from the way that leads to destruction. We're, we're on that mission. He says then after that, when you see people coming into church and you can tell, you can just see in their eyes, they're looking for acceptance. They want to be loved. And he says, if I can show them that I love them, then maybe they'll think possibly God loves them. 
And so he starts to tell his story of generosity and the different service that he does. And then Kathy, she shares some of hers. And the interviewer then says, you've impacted a lot of people in our church. And a lot of people here love you. And then people start walking into this room one by one. Young ladies come in. Older ladies come in. Little kids are coming in. Men are coming in. Men of different ages. They've got bald heads and gray heads and dark hair and all little kids. And all kinds of different people are walking into this room. Eventually this room's full. And the interviewer says... Uh, through your generosity, you've impacted many of the lives of the people that are walking in this room. Gordon, the way that you've greeted some of the children as a greeter in our children's ministry, um, some of these children have come to Christ from seeing your love and your acceptance. And Gordon's story was that he had been serving God at this church and didn't know him. And you can easily start to think, well, everyone assumes I'm a Christian, so I don't want to say it. And she says to him, because of your courage to come before our church and tell them that you were serving the God that you didn't know and surrendered your life to him to know him, some other people in this room have come to Christ. And through your financial generosity, and they start talking about the different stuff, said to Kathy, Kathy, some of the women in this room never experienced community before, and you made a spot for them in small group. I want to thank you for doing that. And then the interviewer turns to the room, and Gordon and Kathy, they start to cry, and says, "Um, we know that all of you here love Gordon and Kathy. That's why you're here. How many of you have been impacted by them? And they all raise their hand. And then they go over, and here's the part of the video that got me. They go to Gordon, and they show him looking around the room and seeing who some of these different people are. And then his mom walks up. And the interviewer says, through your generosity, even some of your own family members have come to Christ. And then when he sees his mom, he lips the words, mom. And he is about a 60-year-old man, right? He starts bawling. Like, you can't just have 60-year-old men bawling on the thing. That's not fair when I'm watching a video. And I'm looking at that, and I'm seeing this guy's now realizing how significant his service has been. With his resources, with his time, with his talents, impacted his own mom. Who would be in the room with you? If we did something like that and just called each member of our church into, the, into a room and said, I want you to see the lives that you've impacted through your service, who would be in the room? Don't miss this verse that Paul shares with the Thessalonians. Paul says this, 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 19. For what is our hope, our joy, or the crown in which we will glory in the presence of our Lord Jesus when he comes? Then Paul says, is it not you? To the Thessalonians, he's saying, you're our crown. We talk about what what are our crowns going to be when we get to heaven on the day of judgment. What's going to take place and jewels and crowns and all these inanimate objects? It's people. It's the people whose lives we've impacted. Let me read it again. 1 Thessalonians 2, 19-20. For what is our hope, our joy, or the crown in which we will glory in the presence of our Lord Jesus when he comes? Is it not you? And in case you don't get it, verse 20, he says this. Indeed, you are our glory and joy. It's the lives that we've impacted by pouring our lives out for the sake of the gospel through gospel service that'll be our crowns in heaven one day. So who would be in the room with you? Family members and friends and neighbors and co-workers and hopefully a bunch of people. For Paul, certainly these Ephesian elders, these men that he prayed for, preached to, shared life with, and served. And then Paul tells us what gospel service is through this passage He doesn't just say, go serve, and then hopefully you can figure it out. He tells us, and I'm not just making this stuff up, he tells us exactly what gospel service looks like. Go back to verse 19. He says, I serve the Lord with great humility. Gospel service is humble service. It's a service out of humility. And we talked pretty extensively about humility when we were in Acts chapter 19, and we were looking at the passage where there were the seven sons of Siva, and they got in a fight. Do you remember that? With a demon-possessed guy? Because they had heard that the name of Jesus was powerful. And what they wanted to do is they wanted to use the name of Jesus for their own benefit. 
And we're talking about how some people are surrendered to God. God uses them. There are other people who want to use God for their benefit. We try to manipulate God to do our plan. And what they were trying to do is use the name of Jesus to benefit their business. Their business happened to be exorcisms, which is pretty crazy. And so what they do is they see a demon-possessed person. They want success in their business. They say in the name of Jesus, whom Paul preaches, be gone. The demon looks back at him, says, I know who Jesus is. And I've heard of Paul. But who are you? And then he gives him a royal butt whooping, if you remember the passage. It goes Jason Bourne on him. One against seven. They're all laying on the ground. Demon-possessed guys walking out. And what do the people learn? The people learn this promise that we get in First Peter, in James, and in Proverbs. God opposes the proud. He's actively against the proud. But he gives grace to the humble. That's a promise. It's a promise you cling to that is part of living by faith. The things that God said, living according to those things, is a promise that we cling to that keeps us humble. So what is humility? What is pride? Pride is this. Pride is when we think we don't need God. Pride is when we're arrogant enough to think that we have the best plan. Pride is when we do things on our own. What is humility? Many people falsely think that humility is like self-deprecation. Let me tell you how bad I am, how dumb I am. Whoa, I don't want, oh, no compliments for me. That's not. That's actually a reverse form of pride. Humility is when we have dependence upon God. Humility is when we realize that we wouldn't have breath apart from God. Humility is when we acknowledge his holiness and our sinfulness, that we're without hope and without God, that we are dead in our trespasses and sins. There's no way we'd even turn to him apart from him drawing us to himself. That's humility. Humility is an accurate picture of ourselves and our need and our dependence. And so every one of us every morning should get out of bed and the first thing is our knees should hit the floor and say, God, I need you. That's humility. And you see humility and the people, they don't, they're not looking for credit here. Look at what Paul said. Go back to the verse. Paul didn't say, you remember all those meals I brought to your house? He didn't say, you remember all those times I washed your car? When he's talking about service, what does he say? He says, I served the Lord. All of his service wasn't for credit. All his service was unto the Lord. He's pouring his life out for the Lord, for the sake of the Lord, because of his dependency upon the Lord. He's talking about Jesus Christ. How does this work? Well, you still serve people. Jesus tells a story in Matthew chapter 25, a parable about what judgment day will be like about how there'll be some people on his right, some people on his left. There'll be some people that are going to be viewed as righteous because of their faith in Jesus. They'll be seen through his right, as his righteousness. There's some people that are going to be viewed as wicked. And he's going to say to the righteous people, when I was hungry, you fed me. When I was thirsty, you gave me a drink. When I was in prison, you came and visited me. And because of the humble heart of those who were serving that way, they're going to go, when did we do this? He's going to say, that what you did to the least of these, you did to me. And he's going to turn to the other and say, well, when I was hungry, you didn't give me anything to eat. And when I was thirsty, you didn't give me a drink. And it's not good on that side. But it was the service they were doing to other people that was actually unto the Lord. It didn't matter what they were doing. The task wasn't even the issue. It was unto the Lord. It was a humble service. And you know, humble servants aren't looking for credit. Not to so many people that serve in our church. They're, they're humbly serving. You'll probably never even know their names. If you were to ask me today, you know, what is, who's the most significant Christian in the world today, in our Christian celebrity world that we live in, you know, the answer is, I probably don't know their name. Probably on the day of judgment, we're going to stand there, we're going to assume it's somebody that we all know, or maybe they're writing books right now, or whatever the thing is, and it's going to be somebody who's serving in some obscure village, in circumstances most of us would try to avoid for the Lord. And we've got people that serve like that here at our church. I'll brag on some of them. One of them's not here right now, she's my wife. Um, usually I ask her permission to tell stories. <laughs> but today I didn't. And uh, so you can pray for our marriage, and we'll talk about that, I'm sure, about how that, that's going. 
But I learned something about her this week that kind of boggled my mind. It makes me look like an idiot, but it's true, so I'm going to tell you the story. Uh, what happened was we were talking at our house, and I was following around telling her story, and she walks into the bathroom, keeps the door open, she's cleaning the toilets. And she's got her hands in the toilets, scrubbing the toilets. I never knew how the toilets got clean. We've been married for 13 years. I didn't know that's how it happened. I knew she cleaned the toilets. I thought she squirted blue stuff in the toilet, and it just got clean. And you husbands can give me a hard time. You thought the same thing until I'm about to tell you. She's got her hands inside the toilet. I looked at her. I said, what are you doing? She looked at me like, certainly you're not that dumb. Like, have you ever gotten that look? Like, how are you asking me this question right now? And she's got her hands in the toilet, scrubbing the toilet. My next statement is, she tells me she's cleaning the toilet, obviously. And then my next statement is, oh, we're in a lot of trouble if you ever die. Like, I knew we were in trouble. Like, we'd be eating pizza and ice cream all the time and all that kind of stuff. Like, it'd be bad news. But the toilets are going to be dirty, too. Like, I didn't know that. I didn't even know that was going to happen. She's been doing this for 13 years. We've had a couple arguments in 13 years, just so you know. She's never said to me, I clean the toilets for you. And you're doing this. She's never asked for credit. It's because she wasn't doing it to get credit. She's just serving. And I didn't even realize it. Many of you don't realize how many people served you today so that you could sit here right now and listen to these verses. Do you know that we've existed for about seven years? We've never had a job at our church for someone to come and pick up trash in the parking lot. We made it a movie theater, for those of you who are watching online. The parking lot gets pretty nasty on Sunday morning from Saturday night movies, popcorns, all kinds of stuff you don't want to mention, beer bottles, all kinds of stuff out in our parking lot. But there are many different members of our church who've come early and cleaned up the parking lot and I've seen them. Many of them don't know that I've seen them. I've seen you. I know some of you are. Probably some of you have done it I haven't seen. So that when other people come and they're coming to church for the first time or whatever, they're not distracted by the mess that we didn't make, but they can focus on Jesus Christ and being connected to Jesus for life change. Thanks for serving. There are people that come every week into our office that none of you see. And, you know, we've got our teachers and bridge kids and different people, the greeters and security and helpers and all kinds of folks over in bridge kids, worship leaders. But there are people that come and they just make photocopies for the teacher. They're serving the people who serve. They're making photocopies so that your kids can hear about the love of God. And you'll never know them. You'll never see them unless you happen to come by our office while they're there doing this stuff. There are people that every week order food and bottled waters and all that stuff so that when guests show up, and even if there aren't donuts, they still are doing their job. And they're, so they're ordering this stuff so that when you show up, you know that we expected you to come, that we care about you, we've thought about you. Humble servants. People that are serving the Lord with humble service. The gospel service is humble service. That's the first thing that Paul tells us in this passage. You know, I served you with humility, but then he gives us more characteristics. There's four here at least. The first one's a humble service. And he tells us the second one. You know how I served the whole time I was with you. From the first day I came into the province of Asia. Then verse 19. I served the Lord... I served you, I served the Lord with great humility and, next characteristic, with tears. That's passionate service. There's an emotion involved in this. It wasn't just that there was a gap and so I filled the gap. Now who's passionate about coming to church at 5.45 a.m. and setting up banners and tables and backgrounds? No one's passionate about that. You know what they're passionate about? People. Seeing people be connected to Jesus for life change. 
And Paul's serving and he's doing the tent making. He's probably thinking, I wish I was still preaching, but he's doing it. He knows what he's doing unto the ultimate end. And he sheds tears for it. We see Paul shed tears. He's a passionate guy throughout the scripture. At least three things he sheds tears over. One, false teachers. It breaks his heart that some people are being led astray by the opposite of God worldview. And some people are doing it in the name of Jesus and it breaks his heart. And he also sheds tears over weak believers. Read First and Second Corinthians. His heart is grieved over the fact that there are people that claim the name of Jesus, but their lives do not support that. What we see the most passionate language of, I was reading this morning, is Romans chapter 9. It's for lost people. Read Romans chapter 9, verse 2 specifically. Multiple words to describe his anguish, great anguish, and with much sorrow over the people that are going to die and go to hell that he loves so much, the Jews. He's a Jew. He says, I'd give my own salvation if they'd come to Christ. He's weeping over them. He says to these people here, he says, with tears I served you. What causes you to weep? And I think about Gordon, that guy that was in that video. And he sees the lives that are changed. People that he cared about, his own mom. And we challenge you as a church that we want every member to have at least one person that you're praying will come to Christ this year, that you'll serve, that you'll share with, that you'll love. What if they didn't? What if you didn't tell them and they died and no one told them? Would that break your heart? Jesus talks about Jerusalem. He says, I long to gather you together. He weeps over the city. Those are just people. He's a Jew. These are just people in Jerusalem. They're rejecting him. He's giving his life for them. He came to serve, to give his life as a ransom for these people, for you and for me. What breaks your heart? If nothing moves you, there's a problem. Are you dead inside? Some of us are still dead in our trespasses and sins. See, the service, whether you're picking up trash, cleaning toilets, preaching on Sunday morning, it's all for the same thing, to see those lives connected to Jesus Christ so that they're changed for eternity. It doesn't matter if you're setting up a banner, if you're making photocopies, it's all to the same end. So it doesn't matter if it's a 40-year-old guy who finds freedom in Christ at Celebrate Recovery, or it's a four-year-old little girl and bridge kids who hears about the love of Jesus for the first time, or if it's something in SYU or Sunday morning, and you're serving and you're given gospel service, it's all into that same end, and it's all the same people. We're all ultimately part of this team. Do you care? Because sometimes we do it just because it needs to be done. And Paul's saying gospel service is a passionate service. There's a, emotions with this. You care about this. But not only is it a, a, a tearful service, a passionate service. Look at the next part. It says, I served the Lord with great humility and with tears. The next thing, although I was severely tested. It's a tested service. And he says what he's tested by. He was tested by the plot of the Jews, which is an interesting statement because we don't know what he's talking about. We know that he faces opposition from Jews all the time. We know that Paul's faith and his service are tested continually. But we don't know what situation he's talking about. Read Acts chapter 18, verse 23 through 19. And where's the plot of the Jews? There's a riot. They're, you know, great is the goddess Artemis. Remember that? Those are Gentiles. The Jews kick them out of the synagogue. That happens everywhere for Paul. That, that can't really be the plot he's talking about. He goes next door and starts preaching and then more, you know, more and more people get to hear Maybe he's talking about something that happened that we don't know about. Maybe like in Acts chapter 14. Remember, Paul, Paul's primary way of serving is through his teaching and his preaching. He preaches in Acts chapter 14. They stone him to death. The Jews do. They think he's dead. They drag his body outside the city. They leave him there for dead. He's not dead. He gets up. The next day he goes and preaches. I'm like, he's a bad dude. But it's tested service. 
man, I'm pouring my life out for you people. I want, I'm crying over you people. And I want you to come to Christ and you're trying to kill me. And we get upset because someone doesn't write us a thank you note. You know, <laughs> really? I mean, we know Paul's tested. Second Corinthians chapter 11. We won't read the whole passage to you, but second Corinthians chapter 11, he talks about his servants. He says, are they servants of Christ? I'm out of my mind to talk like this, a little parenthetical in the Bible. I'm more. I've worked much harder, been in prison more frequently, been flogged more severely, and been exposed to death again and again. And he goes on to start to list five times I received from the Jews, the people he wants to come to Christ, people he's preaching to, people he'd give his own salvation for. They flogged him five times, 40 lashes minus one. It says, three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in open sea. And then he talks about a lot of danger. He says, I, I've been constantly on the move, so I've never been able to settle down. He says, I've been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my own countrymen, danger from Gentiles. There's a lot of danger in this guy's life. And he goes on to the next verse. He says, and all that stuff, you know, all this physical stuff happens. He says, and I've got this constant emotional pressure that I care for all these churches that I, that I started up. So he's saying, I do all these things, and you know what? He's faithful in his service. You know why? Because what God's looking for isn't whether you're preaching or whether you're cleaning toilets or whether or not you're picking up stuff in the parking lot or whether or not you're getting the kids to bed on time or you're running errands or any of that stuff. He's looking for faithfulness. It's not, were you doing the thing that grabs the headline? No. Are you faithful in the thing I've given you to do? Keep doing that. It will be tested. You will work hard to serve, and there will be a testing. Some of our members on our worship team, you know, some guy practices guitar riff all week and somebody comes up to him in the lobby. Yeah, I really like that song. I was doing it so you would feel the worship and, you know, tech team, you know, it's just too loud today. You know, they came, they showed up at six o'clock and started running cables and that's what we say. Or, you know, I'm bridge kids. Yeah, I just wish you had done this with that lesson and you forgot to mention there were camels on the boat or whatever thing you get upset about. And, and the teacher's thinking, man, I was working all week to try and tell your kid about God's love for him. And I didn't get a thank you note. No one told me. And you'll be tested. And there might be testing that's more difficult than that. There may be persecution. There may be sickness. There may be... I'm all saying to these Ephesians because he wants them to know, hey, I endure it. You can endure. That's why the author of Hebrews gives us Hebrews chapter 12, famous passage. We oftentimes read 1 and 2. We don't read verse 3. Verse 3 tells us why 1 and 2 are written. Hebrews chapter 12 says, Therefore, since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. Let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Continue, endure, do the thing that God's put before you. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus. Here's our example. The author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him, so he did it because he was thinking long-term, not about his desire to die on the cross, but his desire for people to be reconciled to him. For the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Verse 3 Consider him who endured such opposition from sinful men. Here's why. So that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Your service will be tested. Gospel service will be tested. Be faithful. Paul's saying, my service was tested by the plot of the Jews. Not only was it a humble service, not only was it a passionate service, not only was it a tested service, but here's the most important part. The last two verses, it's a gospel service. It's not just that he's doing good things. Look what he says. You know that I have not hesitated to preach. That's Paul's primary way of serving them. Anything that would be helpful to you, but have taught you. And so he preached and he taught you publicly and house to house. He'd say the same things from the stage that he'd say if you're sitting down one-on-one. And I've declared, and so he says that three times. I preached, I taught, I've declared to both Jews and Greeks. It doesn't matter if you're rich, it doesn't matter if you're poor, it doesn't matter the color of your skin, it doesn't matter your background. That they must turn to God. Here's the key part, the gospel. 
They must turn to God in repentance. That's turning from your sin to God. Turning from a way that seems right to you that leads to destruction to God. Turning from without hope and whatever you're hoping in to hoping in God. That's repentance. And to have faith in our Lord Jesus. Not just faith. Not just I'm a person of faith and I believe. And I believe God wants to do and we make up some story. No, it's faith in his promises. The things he promises he'll do. Like If you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth, you will be saved. Faith in that. Like, if you are proud, he's going to oppose you. If you're humble, he's going to give you grace. That's a promise. And there are hundreds of promises throughout Scripture. Living by faith is living according to the promises that God gave us. Promises here are gospel promises. The repentance and faith. Two key words. That's the gospel. It's not service just for service sake. It's not service to be a good neighbor. It's not service to be a nice guy. It's not service so that people will be fed. It's not service so that feet will be clean. That's nice. It's like a pile of dirty rags before God, though, apart from gospel service, which is to the end that people would repent, turn to God, and have faith. But see, a lot of us, we don't like to talk about repentance. I actually had a pastor tell me last week, a young guy here in town, planted a church, was guest speaking at another church in our city. I will not tell you which church it was. Unless you have a relative that goes there, I might tell you not to have them go there. But the pastor told me that he was, he, he was a guest speaker at this church. And uh, he preached a message, preached the gospel, talked about repentance, talked about faith. Afterwards, the older pastor came up to him, puts his hand on his shoulder. He's a little bit taller than him. He says, uh, young man, I know that you're new at this. Can you feel the condescension about to come? I know that you're new at this. He said, people don't like to be told they're sinners. So don't talk about sin. Pats him on the back and walks away. Here's the problem with that. The gospel is good news and bad news. If you don't understand the bad news, you don't really understand the good news. If you don't understand sin, then you don't really understand your forgiveness. You know, no, no, no. God wants a relationship with me. He loves me. wants to be my friend. All, stuff. all true things. But if you don't get the weight of your depravity, if you don't get the weight of your hopelessness, if you don't understand that you were, as Paul tells the Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 2, you want to read this on your own, you're without hope and without God. You had no hope. But see, they were religious. Many of these people, they, they were going to synagogue. They were doing things. They were serving. They were holding babies. They were, you, know, you were without hope. You had no shot before God. Isaiah 64, 6. You were, it was like a pile of dirty rags. You were dead in your trespasses and sins until you turned. And you wouldn't even be able to turn if God hadn't given you the opportunity. And you turned to God by faith. Faith is another word for trust that you shifted your trust from whatever it was that was so hopeless that you were hoping in, your career, money, whatever the thing was, the good deeds, and you shifted your trust to the work of Jesus Christ. That's faith, and you're saved. And so those of you who are yet to place your faith in Jesus, have you done that now, yet? Since the beginning of this message? You can do it now. Some of you, that's what you need to do. Some of you, you place your faith in Jesus Christ. Do you live a significant story? A significant story is one that's poured out for the sake of the gospel and service to the Lord. A very practical application of today's message, you could sign up to serve somewhere at our church. You could write it on your worship program. In fact, next week, we're doing what we call Volunteer Expo. We're going to give you a view of all kinds of different opportunities to serve at our church. Here's what would be terrible, is if you signed up for one of them and then thought you had it figured out because you did something you wanted to do or didn't want to do or whatever, and you're doing your, your hour a week. We're talking about a life of service. That's all the time. When you're in your neighborhood, you know how we lived from the first day that we were there until now, Paul's saying, we're serving the Lord in humility, with passion. It was tested, but it was gospel service. So do you live a significant life? 
Do you live a life of gospel service? Let's pray. Father, we come before you thankful that we had somebody that cared enough about us to carry the message of the gospel forward. And I pray for those who haven't placed their faith in your son Jesus Christ yet, that right now at this moment they would do what Romans chapter 10, verses 9 and 10 say, that they would believe in their heart that your son Jesus poured out his life for them, that he died on the cross for them, for their sin, because they had no chance, because they were hopeless. And they would confess your son Jesus Christ as their Lord right now. And I pray right now, if you need to trust Jesus Christ as your Savior, to do that right this very moment, whether you're in the video across the hall, you're watching online, you're right here, there's nothing more important than that. Don't miss that opportunity. And place your faith in Jesus Christ by simply doing this. Acknowledge your sin before him, your need for a Savior. And if you believe in your heart he died for your sins, then call upon him as Lord. And Father, I pray for those of us who have done that. We've placed our faith in your son Jesus. And we want to pour our lives out for you. Continue to lead us, continue to guide us, continue to show us the race that's been put before us, the course that's before us, and that we'd walk in that in humble service with a focus on the gospel and what it is you've called us to, whether it's cleaning toilets or teaching Sunday school lessons or some other thing, that you'd use our gifts, that you'd use our financial resources, that you'd use our time resources, that you'd use our lives for your kingdom. And while no one may ever know our name, that one day we'd stand before you in your glory and that people would be surrounding us because we poured our lives out for the sake of the gospel. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.